going to uh, I'm going to begin this message here by reminding you that um, we're talking about freedom, and the title of this message is "Freedom from Religion." It's hard to preach on freedom without getting to that subject. In fact, it seems as if that uh, you know a couple times a year for the past three or four years that we've preached something like this. And I think it's healthy for a church. I really do. I think the greatest enemy of the church, as I've come to know it, is, is religion. It really is. And understanding what, what that is and, 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 and how we can avoid it. I, I think I, I, I honestly, transparently, I don't think I understood that. I grew up a very religious person. I grew up a Catholic in a very works-oriented, performance-based, driven type of, of, of spirituality. And when I got saved, I found myself in that very same dynamic. I was saved. I was in the right doctrine, but I was still very religious. I had a list of do's and don'ts. I'd come under the grace of God and by faith had accepted Christ, but I still was, was living a life as a very judgmental, pharisaical, religious person. And so God has really helped to set me free from that. And, and honestly, I'm still being set free. Is that Okay. I'm still there. That's why I'm preaching this message. I, listen, preachers don't preach messages they don't need. Trust me, all right? Somebody said that yesterday. He said, when, whatever I preach, uh, he said, usually it's because I personally needed it, all right? That's really the kind of messages that preachers need to be preaching is ones they need. So freedom from religion. Let me illustrate it by uh, giving you this simple little silly, but yet supposedly kind of a true story about a guy who was uh, a representative or the vice president, if you will, of a dog uh, food production uh, business. And this particular guy went to this dog food convention. He was the national sales manager, and he was there to motivate and inspire people uh, to sell this dog food. And does anybody remember the old dog food? I just bought dog food last night. Uh, this doesn't exist anymore. But anybody remember kennel ration? Got any old timers? Good. All right, we got some kennel ration folks here. So this was the kennel ration national dog food convention. And the fellow gets up there and uh, he begins to, to motivate the audience by saying things like, you know, all right, who makes the, the best dog food in the country? And the crowd of, man, of, of salesmen would yell back, kennel ration. And he said, who has the best marketing production in the, uh, uh, marketing production in the nation? And the crowd yelled back of, man, of, of salesmen, you know, kennel ration. And he said, who has the best packaging facilities in the country? And the crowd yelled back, Kenoration! He said three or four more things like that, and they yelled back. He got the crowd really amped up, right? And then he said, then why aren't we selling the most dog food in the country? And someone said about that time, an old southerner stood up and said, Fact is, sir, the dogs don't like it. And sadly... Maybe that story and its conclusion reminds us today of the church of Jesus Christ. We have it, folks. We've got it. We've got the Son of God. We've got a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We have the peace that passes all understanding. We have forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And yet, why is it that so many people are so put out by Christianity? I know it's not because of of Jesus, for sure, amen? I believe it's because of Christians. And as a result of that, their experience with Christianity is just so negative. 
And thus, oftentimes, we find ourselves really realizing that people have turned Christianity into a religion. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We want to avoid that, folks. We want to be free here at Gospel Life Baptist Church from the bondage of religion. And let me explain to you how that, how that looks. And Jesus tells a parable about that exact condition here in Luke chapter 18. That's what this parable is all about. And you do know parables are not exactly a distinctly, uh, specifically true story or true account. But more than likely, these stories were told in parables because this particular type of situation probably happened on a very regular basis because the people could connect to the story, to the parable. So think about that with me as we look at Luke 18, beginning in verse 9, and read this parable. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one was a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men. Right there, that that statement, if you'll just think about that statement standing on its own, that ought to make your stomach churn right there. Just just the beginning of this prayer. Can you imagine? God, I'm just grateful I'm not like these people. You know. Extortioners. Adulterers. Or even as that publican over there. Glad I'm not like him. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not so much as as lift even his eyes to heaven. But he smote upon his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his his house justified. This, This publican, this man who prayed this little simple short prayer, he went down justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. I want to share with you this morning five things we need to do to get free from the bondage of religion. Let's start off with number one quickly for sake of time. Number one, I'm free from religion, church, family, when I refuse to bind others with man-made rules. That's when I begin to get free from religion. When I, when I am, am, when I refuse, when I refuse, even if I have particular convictions or preferences, I refuse to to, to make everyone else have to be exactly like me. My man-made rules. That's what was happening in this story in verse number 9. And he spake this parable in a certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Not trusting in God, but trusting in themselves. This is something they had kind of come up with. These were some extra biblical things. They didn't have scripture for these things. Most of this would have just been oral things, just things that they had heard, things that had been set forth from the clergy, if you will, things that kind of were passed down to them from whoever. And and these were things that that these men, these people, uh, this crowd here was trusting in themselves that they were righteous. In other words, I'm pretty good. I'm a good person. You know, I'm, I'm probably better than most people. I'm clean. I look good. I've got my life together. It's interesting because the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10, as it is written, there is how many righteous? Hold up the universal symbol for how many righteous people there are in the world. Zero. There's none righteous. No, not one. So these men thinking they were righteous were obviously 
wrong, according to Scripture, there is none that is righteous. Now, someone may say, and even myself at first may glance at that and say, aren't we righteous after we're saved? That kind of sounds like a good question, and it is a good question. But remember, when Jesus sees you, he does not see your righteousness, which means you're not righteous. When Jesus looks at you after you've trusted in his son, after you've trusted in him, rather, for salvation, he doesn't see your righteousness, he sees his righteousness. God sees his son, Jesus, his righteousness, not your own. It is only because of the righteousness that was imputed to us by Jesus Christ that we have the opportunity to go to heaven. I'm reminded of a passage of scripture in Philippians. I don't think I have it on the screen, but Philippians 3, 9. And he found in him not having mine own righteousness. I'm not righteous. You're not righteous. No, no, brother Eric, you don't understand. I'm really good. I am righteous. No, you're not. You're not righteous. There's none righteous, no, not one. Paul even said, not mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So the righteousness that you and I have is not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness that was imputed to us by God. Make sense? And I love that. I'd much rather be covered in the righteousness of God than in mine own, which is really not mine own anyway. So the essence of religion is, is I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I can do this by myself. And that's why, if you pay attention here in verse number 9, they said, which trusted in themselves. I'm good enough. I can do this. I, I know what's going on. And what naturally flows out of that in verse number 9 is you despise others. When you start thinking too highly of yourself, it becomes very easy for you to point out the faults in others. You see yourself as so much better than someone else. You see your righteousness, which again, there is none righteous. But these types of people, these Pharisees, they th- these religious people. How many of us have nourished negative, critical thoughts and comments about others who are not as righteous as we are? My hand is up. I've done that. I've nourished negative thoughts. I've said negative things about people. And let me tell you what that is. That's self-righteousness. That is the essence of religion, self-righteousness. That is what God despises. And so I am free from religion when I refuse to bind others with man-made rules. I'm not going to live within the standards of my own self-made rules, making everyone else live within those standards. Ways to judge people and assess spirituality on things that are not clearly stated in Scripture or explicitly stated in Scripture is very, very dangerous. Let me give you a few examples of this just real quickly. Um, For instance, people ask me all the time uh, about how I feel about things like tattoos or piercings or or, or, or hair or certain dress or um, music. And I have my personal preferences. I have, in some cases, even maybe a personal conviction. But the truth of the matter is, where the Bible is not absolutely, distinctly clear, explicitly clear, stated in Scripture, and I need to be very, very careful that I am not expecting and making and only fellowshipping with people that only agree with me. It is absolutely essential that I don't judge or negatively assess someone else's personal convictions in regards to something that is not clearly in Scripture. That's essential. Lest I become religious. 
and Jesus hates religion. You see, when I do judge others in regard to something that is not explicitly stated in Scripture, then I become a Pharisee myself. Judging other people by a man-made set of rules. I hope you get that. that that's, that's, that's not godly. That's godless, okay? And that's religion. Number two, how do I get free from the bondage of religion? Let me give you the second thing. I'm going to reject externals as a spiritual yardstick. Very important. You cannot judge someone by how they look. It's impossible. It's not possible. It's not scriptural. It's not possible. When we begin to look at externals, when we use externals as a measuring stick to judge somebody's spirituality, we have truly crossed the line. Look at verse number 10 and verse 11. Or we've crossed over into, I should say, religion. Verse 10 says, two men went up into the temple to pray. The one, a Pharisee, and the other. And, and that word, the other, a publican, or just those two words, the other. Meaning this, there is a very big difference between these two individuals. A very big difference. In fact, later on in Scripture, we're going to find that God goes as far as to say that one is going to heaven and one is going to hell. It's a big difference here. One was a Pharisee and the other a publican, a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or, and then he goes as far as to say, even as this publican. Now let's talk just for a moment about this, this second thought of getting free from religion. I'm not going to measure people by externals. That was the mistake that this guy made. This, this Pharisee who was part of this religious sect who had about 6,000 members who had a strict adherence to uh, the ceremonial law, washing of hands, numerous other things, very, very strict adherence to these non-biblical, non-essential things. They were very judgmental of others, very judgmental of others. I'm glad I'm not like him. Pretty, that's pretty judgmental. But can you imagine somebody walking into the building today and said, man, look at Darian. I'm glad I don't look like him. I'm glad I'm white and I'm not black. People say those awful things. I'm glad I'm not his color. I'm glad I don't have his hair. I'm glad I don't look like her. I'm glad I don't. Ah. Religion, you see. And that's what we have to avoid here. It shows itself up in the, it so, it shows itself up in the church, it seems, especially in denominational settings, which, to be honest with you, Church, you know, the truth of the matter is we may have Baptists on our sign, but we are clearly now non-denominational. We're Baptists in our doctrine. We're Baptistic in our heritage, but we are not denominational here. We are not putting ourselves under a set of rules or regulations being passed down from some kind of headquarter, or in our case in the past, a college or a conference. Amen. You see, that's just the, that's just the way, that, that, that's just the truth. I don't plan on taking Baptists off the sign. I, I'm glad I'm about to have no problem with being a Baptist. That's not the issue here. The issue here is not only is that not what makes you a Christian, being a Baptist, but secondly, that, that has nothing to do with, with what you believe. You believe the Bible. It just so happens that there's a lot of Baptists that have believed the Bible really good too, and we, we kind of fit in a little bit more with, with, that, with that set of doctrine and belief system. So with that said, I want you to notice again verse 11, as he said, or even this publican, he was forming his opinion, or even this publican, I'm not this, I'm not this, and I'm not that. Now, did he know that man? If he would have known that man, he would have said his name. 
So he did not know that man. He just looked at a man, a random man in the crowd. What did he know about this man? Anything? Nothing. All he knew was what he saw. And he said to this, I'm just glad I'm not like that tax collector. You see, religion is like that. It's all about looking at people and forming assessments based on what you see. Judging people by externals. Here's some externals we judge by quickly. I'll give you a list here. won't say much about it, but uh, judging people by their clothing. Man, yeah, you know. I won't go into specifics, but I'm telling you it happens. It happens often. Judging people by their physical appearance. Or judging people by their hair or the length of their hair. I had dinner last night with a man who <clears throat> had, had long hair, had hippie hair. My wife and I had dinner with him. Oh, great guy. I enjoyed the fellowship. Personally, I'm not into long hair, as you can tell. By the way, judging people by their lack of hair is wrong, too. Just in case some of you were thinking out there. You know. <clears throat> I may have my thoughts on it. I may have my particular preferences as far as for my boys in our, in our little world at 621 Third Street, but I had a wonderful time with this precious couple last night, judging people by the way they act. Well, they act a certain way. I, uh, they must be this or they must be that. Look how they're acting. Look how they're worshiping. Look, how, look at that guy over there with his hands up, the way they act. Oh, they're just fanatic. They're, they're charismatics, you know. Answer this question for me. Which one of these two is more godly? Quiet, reflective, serious, watchful, and very, very somber? That one? Or what about this one? Zealous, outspoken, aggressive, bubbly. Which one of those two is more godly? Both! (laughs) The answer is both. Being like Jesus Christ is not cloning. Are you with me? You see, if we were all like Jesus Christ, we would not all be exactly the same. Think about that for just a moment. In other words, if you, in in the way that God made you, attempt to be like Jesus Christ, you're going to be different than me. (laughs) Because God made us all different, and yet God made us all to to strive to be like Him. God has made us unique. God has made us distinct, and as individuals, and your expression of godliness may be incredibly different than yours and yours and yours. Maybe different. I'm beginning to learn that. And the more I learn it, the more I realize wow, being free from religion is awesome. You learn to love the family of God and all their uniqueness. You learn to love every denomination and all of their special things that they, you you learn to love every church service you go to, even if it's not what you're used to. You learn to love every song, even the new ones and the hymns. You learn to love when somebody sings something a hundred years ago. You learn to love when someone sings something you never heard before. You just, you just like, man, this is so great. They express themselves differently. Their background must be different. Oh, God's still working in their life a little different than he is me. But we're all trying to go towards the same thing, and that is I want to be like Jesus. You've got to let that sink in just a little bit. It may take a while. My son Joe taught me a lot about this. As I began to raise my children, I realized they were all different, but I realized Joe is really different. They're all different. 
Remember the first time Joe, Joe walked into the church with the hat that said gracist. <laughs> you ever seen him wear that hat? Not racist, guys, gracist. You've seen him wear it, right? It's awesome. Joe always wants to get his hair done, you know, it's a little different, you know. Man, at first it really bothered me. Man, he doesn't look like a capace. He doesn't look like, you know, man, I began to think, man, what am I going to tell my dad when he sees him, you know, wearing sandals? My dad hates sandals. And I mean, he knows better than that, you know. But man, God just has worked in my life. As I watched Joe grow in grace and spirit. And this is going back a while now. I mean, I've, I've been there a while now on this one. I really have. It's been awesome. But I watched Joe first one up in the mornings. Oftentimes, obviously after me because I'm seeing him. Hopefully I'm up first in the mornings. But Joe's having his devotions and walking with God and loving other people. He has a small group even now. Last week, I think they had 15 in their Bible study and had a pastor walk up to me in town this week and say, man, dude, I just want you to know your son was having a small group at Coffee Love. And I walked in and I sat in, sat in on his small group and said, he said, when he saw me, he knew this pastor. He said, oh, pastor, why don't you take over? He said, no, man. He said, I'm here to listen to you. And Joe said, dad, I was so scared because I had a pastor of a pretty big church in my small group last week. So I asked the pastor, I said, dude, he was scared. How'd he do? He said, man, I learned some stuff from my sermon next week. That's what he told me. And I began to realize, you know what? Maybe everybody doesn't have to be exactly like me. Amen. That's religion. It's nonsense. We don't need to pressure people to, to conform to some extra biblical code of contact that is not taught in the scriptures. Church, that's not pleasing to God. We need to stop measuring people based on the way they look. So are you focused on externals? Let me ask you to ask yourself this series of questions real quickly. What bothers you more, arriving at church with your hair out of place or arriving at church with your heart out of place? What bothers you more, no time with God this week or other people seeing your children misbehave? What bothers you more? Your need for more money or God's assessment of what you're doing with the money you already have? What bothers you more? What bothers you more? Oh, rather, what what are you most proud of? Is it something you've accomplished or someone you've become? Reject externals and be free from religion. Number three, to be free from religion, I must review my relationship with God for form without function. This is a healthy thing to do. This is what we really should have been doing here. The Lord's Supper is a wonderful time. The table that we pulled up to this morning uh, and do on a a bi-monthly basis at this time in our church is a great time for you to examine your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Does it have form? (laughs) Which, by the way, we all have form. You do know that. I mean, just you being here this morning and sitting in this building... And those of you that stood a moment ago when we, when we worshiped, you had form. But function is something a little bit different. Form can often be very religious. Function and form together can free you from religion. Religion that is all form and no function is not a good thing. 
Someone that does the right thing. They stand in the right place, but there's no real impact in their lives. Could I give you just a list of things here to, to look at in your life, to ask yourself personally in these quick five quick areas? Is there, is there form or form with function? Number one, first of all, when I go to a weekly worship service, when I go to a weekly worship service, is going to a weekly worship service good or bad? Good. It's a wonderful thing. I'm glad you're here. It's a great crowd. Praise the Lord. Glad you're here. Great thing. Great decision. Awesome. But can I tell you the purpose of you being here? In case you didn't know, it is to pour out yourself, your heart in adoration to Jesus Christ. He said, no, I came here because it's my weekly service. I sit in the same spot. I, 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 I know you guys, I stand when you sing. I sit down. I slip out. I do my deal. I'm here, preacher. I go to church and with a lot of form, but no function. Can I give you some ideas of how you can worship God with function? Here's, here's some ways you can do it. Number one, by how you sing. By how you sing. My son, Matthias, leads the worship on, on Wednesday nights to the teens, and his biggest burden every week is he said, Dad, I'm just praying that our teenagers get it. He said, I don't want to tell them to put up their phones, but he said about half of them are texting and on their phones, some of your children. He said, they just... They just don't seem to get it. They're there. Yes, they're there. They're sitting in the building. They're standing. But he said, they're not singing. They're not worshiping. Like some of us, you know. You say, well, I don't know the song. You know what I've learned about these worship songs? They're really easy to learn. You can learn them about halfway through. It's the truth. You can learn most of these songs about halfway through. That's why they're so easy. Learn them. Sing them. We know what's funny is, some people don't know the old hymns. And what I say to you is, learn those. Let's learn together. Let's sing together. Let's worship God together. Second way we can, we can come to church with, with, with some function is by how we give. We pass the offering plates in a moment. That is a time of worship. Are you participating? Are you giving? Are you truly giving out of heart of appreciation and thankfulness? Those tithes, those offerings. Is that something that you look forward to giving back to, to God? What? By the way, he owns it all. He gave it all to you. But isn't it a wonderful thing that, that we every week get an opportunity at the end of the service to give back to him? We got to do that with joy. And then by how you listen to God's word. How do you listen to God's word? Are you eager? Do you have that? I just can't wait. What's, what's, what's God got for me today? Is it, is it kind of an edge on your seat thing, you know? What is God going to teach me today through his word? Well, those are some areas that we can ask ourselves. Do I have just form or, or real function? By how we go to small group. By the way, small group's a wonderful thing. We, you can call it small group. We, we discussed this on, on this past week. Some call it Sunday school if it's on Sundays. Others call it small group throughout the week. Or you could call it life group. Or you could call it connect group. Or you could just call it Bible study. Whatever you want to call it, it's fine. We just use the term small group to, because it's just a, a, a couple of words that seem to kind of best describe uh, community and coming together and studying God's word. I do like the hour and a half time on Sundays because I think it gives us a little bit more time. Sunday school seemed to be really short and tight and after coffee and donuts and about a five minute, 10 minute, 15 minute lesson, it was really tough for folks to get into God's word. So we've lengthened it. It's longer. And so if you're a part of small group, let me ask you a question. Do you just attend or do you go? 
with a desire to bear one another's burdens. To really be accountable to everybody in that group. I think that is why Chanel was baptized this morning. One of the reasons Chanel was because of your small group. Being in that group, she has been growing and she has a desire uh, because of what her, her community each Sunday morning is experiencing together. They're in Nathan's group, Nathan and Sarah. It's exciting for me to see and hear the testimonies of folks that are, that are really living life together. Leaders, are you taking your small group serious? Or did you just not get to study this week, so let's take our teenagers to Dairy Queen. That's not small group. They can go to Dairy Queen after. What they need is they need to go somewhere, gather together maybe in a circle, and just share life together. Maybe that's not why they're worshiping in church, because they're eating Dairy Queen during small group time. Not picking on anybody. Yes, I am, actually. Oh, I am. Sorry. I just get concerned that even our leaders, maybe, maybe what we need is a, just to step back and say, oh, God, forgive me. I'm not taking this thing serious enough. I'm not studying God's word so that when my, when my church family comes to, to be fed and, and to study and to go deeper, that I myself am really not ready for that. Let's be ready. Let's be ready for what God is going to have for us in our small groups this week. And if you're, not, if you're not connected to one, get in one. And then my personal Bible study. What about just your personal Bible study? Just do you come to your devotions with a hunger and thirst for the word of God? My devotions start every morning at 6 o'clock. That's my time with God. And I love that time. I do. I love it. I'm passionate about it. It's just a wonderful time to come together to get just a little... But, I spend about 45 minutes or so. That's just my little time in the mornings. That's my little, you know, just, again, being transparent. My, with Folks ask me what my schedule is. And so I'm telling you, 6 to 6.45 is my time alone with God. Sometimes Gloria Ann gets up a little early. She joins me. She does a puzzle for the 7,000th time while I read my Bible. It's pretty cool. And then what about my prayer life? What about my prayer life? Is my prayer life just kind of generic, just Lord bless the day in Jesus' name, amen? Or is it pretty intense? Is it, it, do I really cry out to God? What about my service to Christ? My service to Christ. Am I involved? Am I actively involved in my church? And if you're not, it's probably at this point some our fault, and I apologize for that. We're working desperately to try to get more people plugged in to service. Give us a few more weeks. We're getting there. We're getting there. And when you hear about the opportunities, get involved. Get involved. It's going to be great. Let me read you these last two so we can close. Number four, I must return to the basics of personal examination and confession. Look at verse 13. And the publican standing afar off would not lift so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What you see here is true humility in this man's life. He's, he's examining his life. He's doing spiritual inventory. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And again, there's so much more I could say there. I've got quite a few notes, but let me just give you the last one here instead of making this part two here. Here's the last one. I'm going to renew my pursuit of personal humility. Humility is not something you be. Humility is something you do. You ever notice why the Bible never says be humble? It says humble yourself. 
Because humility is not something you be, it's something you do. Notice the text, verse number 14 again, the last verse here. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified or saved rather than the other, who obviously was lost, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is making the most of others. That's what true humility is. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. True humility. It's like when you're in traffic and somebody pulls in front of you. Amen? Here's the attitude of somebody who is truly humble. Man, obviously they're trying to get somewhere fast. Come on in, brother. No problem. Yeah. Be a little more careful next time, but you got it, man. Go ahead. Verses chasing them down the road and you ever had that happen to you or you ever done that kind of staying right on their bumper just to let them know i am so ticked at you right now you got in front of me and i'm the man and it was my right and i don't go ahead and exalt yourself you will be abased church if we live lives of humility others first No problem. You got my seat? You could have my seat. No big deal. (laughs) Who cares? What can I do to be a blessing to you? Practical ways to humble yourself. Number one, embrace misunderstandings. Embrace misunderstandings. I know it's not how we feel sometimes, but but when there's a problem, when there's a situation that comes in our lives and, and, and it's we've been misunderstood or or we misunderstood someone else or just something took place. Embrace that as an opportunity to humble yourself, to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Even if you really didn't think you were, just embrace that misunderstanding and and take the high road. Just humble yourself. Hide your accomplishments. Don't insist that people refer to you in a certain way. Don't insist that people recognize you for how great you are. It's okay. I don't need to be recognized. I had... A little drink with, I was really impressed by this teenager yesterday. I'll just tell you who it is. Tyler Dauber, he's not in the building anymore. So he won't get the big head. (laughs) But Tyler, I had about an hour with Tyler yesterday and we were talking. And he was telling me how he serves in our children's ministry. And I I didn't know all this. And I just said, what do you do? And he told me some things he was doing. And I said, what do you do after that? And he said, well, actually, he said, preacher, every morning I get here to church at 7 o'clock. This is a teenager. Tyler Dauber, 18 years old, our drummer. He, he, Joe plays mostly the drums in here now, and Tyler plays in the drums in our children's ministry. I said, you get here at 7 o'clock? He goes, yes, sir. So what do you do at 7? He said, I, I get the uh, C4C set up. That's our bus ministry children's ministry church, right? I said, Tyler, you get here at 7 o'clock, and you set up for the children's ministry? I mean, does anybody know you do that? He goes, why does anybody have to know? He goes, Pastor... I just like serving. And he said, I just want to get with you today and find out how can I serve this church better? He said, I heard we got a few folks that are leaving. And he said, and I just want you to know I'm behind you. And he said, "Uh, where do you need me? It's an 18-year-old kid. I couldn't believe it. We sat and talked, and I thought, you know, God's going to exalt that boy one day. (laughs) He's got a bright future. Number finally, be the first to seek reconciliation in marriage. 
or just reconciliation and in marriage, in relationships. I probably said in marriage because I've done a lot of marriage counseling lately, honey. Last night we did a couple hours of it. I did some premarital counseling yesterday. I'm excited about Alicia and Joel Ledbetter getting married here soon. Y'all, y'all hear Alicia, Joel? You guys? Amen. We had fun yesterday. That was good. You're going to find out next week. Next week's about conflict in marriage, okay? It is. I told y'all that. This was an easy one this week. Next week it gets tough. How do you react to conflict in your life? Do you, are you the first to seek reconciliation? Are you the first to go to that person and say, listen, if I have offended you, I am so sorry, brother, sister, I am sorry. Be the first to seek reconciliation. That's a wonderful way to break the bondage of religion. Well, that's all I have for you today. Let me review them. I'm free from religion when I refuse to bind others with man-made rules. I'm going to reject externals and I'm, as a spiritual yardstick. I'm going to review my relationship with God for form without function. I'm going to return to the basics of personal examination and confession. And I know I didn't spend much time on that one, and I apologize, but I, I feel like that, that, that statement in and of itself kind of gives you enough information. And then finally, I'm going to renew my pursuit of personal humility. And I'm getting rid of this religion, preacher. I'm not judging people by their looks. I'm not judging people by their hair. I'm not judging people by their clothing. I'm not judging people by this, that, or the I am going to love people and not judge people and realize that everybody's not like me, and that's okay. Amen. Maybe somebody's here today, and the truth is, you heard Chanel's testimony. You heard me read it. That's why we do that, by the way. We reread those testimonies so that maybe someone would say, wow, look at what... What's happened to this this person? What is that all about? That's a good question. And we've got a good answer. Jesus loves you today. He wants to save you today. He would love to see you become one of his children today. And you are here not by accident. And if you do not know for sure that if you were to die, that you would go to heaven, I want you to know you can know that today. And in this invitation, right now, in just a moment, when we stand and our pastors come forward, and I want to ask them to go ahead and do that right now. Come on, guys, and stand up here. And, and if you are sitting in this audience and you are not sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. I want to ask you to come forward. Take Brother Matt. Take Brother Butch. Brother Charlie. Brother Doug. Just take them by the hand. You say, I don't know who, which one's what. It doesn't matter. They'll tell you who they are when you get here. Take them by the hand and just say, hey, I need someone to talk with me about, about what I need to do to know that I can have eternal life and be a child of God. We'd love to tell you about that. So we, when, when we stand, I'm serious about that. I want you to come. And I want you to come see one of these men. I do. And if you need to pray, Christian, if something kind of pricked your heart, something touched you, would you come this morning? Hey, you say, well, that'll mess up my form. Somebody might think I'm actually backslidden. Well, join the crowd. Amen. Amen. We're all not where we need to be. It's okay. Shake your form and get a little function down here. and Let God speak to your heart if you need to. I understand not everybody's going to do that. Maybe nobody will. But just in case there is, I just want to encourage you to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share. I pray that you bless, Lord, as we, as we sing the song of invitation. God, use it in our lives and 
use this short time of invitation. If there is anyone here today who's not sure if they died, they'd go to heaven. God, would you please bring them to that place where they would today, today say yes, yes, yes to Jesus. I trust him. I accept his sacrifice on Calvary, his shedding of blood to cover my sins. Yes, today I accept him. May they come today, right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand? And if you need to come, you come right now. The Savior alone carried the cross for all of my debts. He paid the cost. Salvation complete. Now forever I'm free. Calvary covers it all. Calvary covers it all. My sin and shame don't count anymore. All praise to the one who has ransomed my soul. Calvary covers it all. No power. 